Good morning. You're listening to KGNU's How on Earth. Today, our guests will be William Alley and Rosemary Alley, who've written a recent book, Too Hot to Touch, The Problem of High-Level Nuclear Waste. All that on How on Earth. Good morning and welcome to How on Earth. I'd like to welcome my guests today, William and Rosemary Alley. Bill is an expert in hydrogeology and has won the prestigious Shoemaker Award for a Lifetime Achievement in Communication and also the Meritorious Presidential Rank Award. He oversaw the Yucca Mountain Project from 2002 to 2010. Rosemary is a writer, sculptor, and educator. She holds a master's degree in special education. And together they've written a book called Too Hot to Touch, The Problem of High-Level Nuclear Waste that was published by Cambridge in 2013. Welcome. It's a pleasure to be here. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. So I wanted, before uh, we started the discussion, I wanted to read a poignant passage from Too Hot to Touch uh, from the chapter called WIP. And that's Waste Isolation Pilot Plant. We can talk about that later. But um, it says, uh, 10,000 years into the future, on the baking windswept sands of what is today southeastern New Mexico, a huge earthen berm bears witness to a previous civilization. Twice as old as the Egyptian pyramids now are, the berm is an eroded fortress over a half mile long and nearly as wide. Flanking the berms inside walls, there once stood huge stone pillars weighing over 100 tons each, now mostly toppled and broken. The same hieroglyphs cover the pillars' surfaces. Carved among the ancient words are human faces, unquestionably expressing terror or horror or both. It goes on to say, patient excavation eventually reveals two buried rooms made of solid granite slabs, one directly under the berm, the other just outside. The granite surfaces are covered with the same hieroglyphs in the same combinations, the same order exactly. If human beings are still around 10,000 years from now, will they figure it out? Will the people of A.D. 12,000 be able to decipher the hieroglyphs to learn that once upon a time, more than 800,000 barrels of radioactive waste were buried there? Will they get it? that the messages and pictographs are trying to warn them away. Keep out. Don't dig here. Don't drink the water. Don't mine for oil or natural gas or potash or salt. Or will they be typically curious humans and dig deeper? So, Bill, that's, uh, I think, a very poetic way to introduce this problem. What is the basic issue of this high-level nuclear waste without a permanent home? And what does it mean to be permanent? Okay. Well, um, you brought up the issue of time, which is probably the principal issue here. So for the waste that were at WIP, they were looking at a 10,000-year time frame. But the, the high-level waste that comes from generation of nuclear power and, and also from the production of nuclear weapons is dangerous for hundreds of thousands of years. And it's also extremely hot. Um, so there's about 70,000 tons of, of this nuclear fuel that's been used in nuclear power plants. It's distributed among 75 sites in, in 33 states, and, including Colorado, and more is being generated every day. And then on the defense side, 
the wastes are stored in three places, in Hanford, Washington, and in Idaho, and at the Savannah River site in South Carolina. And then on top of that, you've got uh, high-level waste from a former reprocessing plant in upstate New York. And then the waste that really is less on people's radar screen, but it's extremely important, is the more than 30 tons of excess plutonium from decommissioned nuclear warheads that needs to be disposed of uh, to address non-proliferation risks. And, and all these wastes are supposedly intended for a, for a deep geologic repository similar to the WIP site, with, but with a little more challenge thrown in. And uh, this waste is all just uniformly dangerous. Some of it's more dangerous than others, but it's all dangerous in a way that we can hardly imagine, isn't it? Yeah, it needs to be dealt with. It's it's a length of time and radioactivity that are real issues. Right. And uh, we also have some of this waste stored here in Colorado. Uh, Rosemary, why should we care about what is going on in Colorado? Why, Why is this an issue for us? Yeah, well, you know, um, of course, the legacy from the Fort St. Brain nuclear power plant, which shut down in 1989, uh, means that the uh, the waste from that plant is just indefinitely stranded on site. Uh, something needs to be done with it. The current plan, uh, just because there are no other options, is to leave the waste where it is for one to three centuries. Now, this is the entire U.S., where it's just indefinitely stranded waste is what we're looking at. Um, and, and Bill just mentioned the nuclear pro- proliferation aspects of the problem, but in 100 years or so, the, uh, the heat from the radioactivity will diminish to the point where it would be possible to access the plutonium in the waste. And for somebody up to no good uh, who wanted to build a nuclear weapon, that would be a very significant problem that uh, would, would be suddenly an, an issue uh, about 100 years down the road. Uh, you know, leaving this stuff under, uh, above ground indefinitely for many reasons, but is, is asking for trouble. Uh, and finally, the, the, this waste problem is affecting everyone's pop- pocketbook. Uh, the Nuclear Waste Policy Act um, it created a nuclear waste fund where the, uh, the nuclear utilities would pay a certain amount per kilowatt hour uh, to pay for the waste program. Of course, the customers are the ones that have footed the bill on that. But in exchange for that fee, the Department of Energy signed binding contracts with the nuclear utilities to take charge of the spent fuel by 1998. Uh, the idea was that a repository would be open at that point uh, because the federal government has not honored that contract. Uh, it's been bleeding from lawsuits for the past 15 years. And once again, the, uh, we, the taxpayers, are picking up the bill on that. We're talking you know, hundreds of millions of dollars in lawsuits, and they're going to continue to escalate. Uh, costs for storage and security at reactor sites are also climbing. And again, everyone is picking up the tab on that. Right. And um, for our listeners who may be unfamiliar with this, and, they, and folks generally know about the Rocky Mountain Arsenal and Rocky Flats, but there's another, uh, fi- there are 15 tons of high-level nuclear waste that are stored at the Fort, Fort St. Vrain dry storage facility outside of Platteville. And uh, it's, uh, I'd like to hear a little bit more about the details of how that is stored. And uh, that, that also that facility is uh, scheduled to be, those wastes are, are supposed to be removed um, by the Department of Energy to a more permanent site. 
and uh, if, if that doesn't happen, uh, the Department of Energy is going to have to pay the state of Colorado, I think it is $15,000 a day until that, until that happens. Can you tell us a little bit more about uh, how that sort of waste is stored and so on, Rosemary? Well, uh, at, at Fort St. Brain, it's, it's being stored in, um, in uh, canisters, okay? And um, so it's not in the pools. It's in, it's in dry cast storage. Um, it's, uh, there is uh, some security. You know, they're keeping an eye on it. There is a, uh, a natural gas power plant there, so it's not completely stranded waste like in uh, some sites in the country where the nuclear power plant is long gone and the waste is just sitting there in these huge uh, dry cast silos uh, uh, indefinitely stranded. Um, so, I mean, that's basically the situation at Fort St. Brain. You know, we're planning a trip uh, to Fort St. Vrain in October, uh, if we can get the cooperation of the Department of Energy. But is that waste stored above ground? Do we know if it's stored above ground, these caskets? Are they stored below ground? or And uh, how are these caskets uh, manufactured? Okay. it's a little. I think it's a little unique at Fort St. Vrain because it's stored inside the building below ground. Um, most of the dry casts are stored above ground in, in as Rose mentioned, silo-type uh, gigantic, like two-story tall uh, concrete structures with metal canisters contained within them. Uh, sort, but sort, Fort St. Brain is a little different. And, and the waste, as you mentioned, is supposed to be removed by, by 2035 uh, is the agreement with the state of Colorado. But it's hard to figure out where it's going to go without any repository in sight. Right. Well, and Bill, that naturally leads to the question, uh, there have been a lot of attempts to have some sort of interim storage, and also uh, a more permanent or indeed permanent storage at Yucca Mountain. You were in charge of Yucca Mountain for eight years up until the bitter end when uh, the administration uh, decided not to support it anymore and then Congress defunded it. What what happened to Yucca Mountain? Okay, sure. I was in, I was in charge of the USGS study for Yucca Mountain. Actually, DOE oversaw the whole thing. I have to go back to 1982 when after years of debate, uh, the Nuclear Waste Policy Act was passed actually in large part due to the efforts of Congressman Morris Udall from, from Arizona. Um, but uh, the process for selecting the best sites was circumvented in 1987 when Senator Bennett Johnston from Louisiana uh, forced through amendments to the Nuclear Waste Policy Act uh, at the last minute, actually. Um, and that made the Yucca Mountain the only candidate for a geologic repository. So they know this bill in Nevada, they know it as the Screw Nevada bill. Um, so in, then we jump forward to 2008, so there have been more than two decades of work and about $15 billion spent. Uh, the Department of Energy finally submitted a license application to the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, which has the job of reviewing it, um, to construct a nuclear waste repository. And this application is quite something. It was each set weighs 110 pounds and totals 8,600 pages. Um, nine months after that, the newly elected Obama administration announced that Yucca Mountain was no longer an option. Uh, they didn't give any safety or technical issues or give any alternatives, actually. Uh, so pretty much everybody attributes this as political payoff to Senator Majority Leader Harry Reid, who, of course, is, is from Nevada. Now, unfortunately, because of this, most people think that Yucca Mountain was purely a political choice, but there, there are actually some good reasons for it 
technical reasons for his choice as well as some limitations, as, as in any site. So the principal advantages was the idea was to bury it in the, the water table is about 2,000 feet from the top of the mountain. So you could bury it about 1,000 feet down and be still well above the water table uh, in a very dry area. Uh, this would allow for the waste to be actually monitored and retrieved if problems developed. Uh, there's, it's a closed basin, so there's no drainage to any surface water body. Uh, it's along the border of the Nevada test site, so you, you have already it's kind of a federally secured area. Um, importantly, there's, and you mentioned this in, at the very beginning of the show uh, about the WIP site, there's a lack of mineral deposits because you always worry about people drilling through the mountain sometime down in the future looking for minerals and bumping in the radioactive waste. Um, so there are, those are a number of the advantages. It also has limitations, which were studied over the years. Um, the one that's probably best known is that it's a seismically active area, so you have to deal with the earthquake hazard and also volcanic hazards because it's volcanic rocks. And 70,000 years ago, there was a, a little bit of volcanism that took place in the area. Probably the biggest limitations was the complexity of the safety case, hence the 110 pounds uh, license application because of the fractured nature of the rocks in the unsaturated zone. And the oxygen that naturally exists in the unsaturated zone can be corrosive. So, so bottom line, there, there were no fatal flaws, uh, but, the, but there still was a lot of work to be done to determine whether Yucca Mountain was the appropriate place or not. And unfortunately, it all got circumvented by uh, taking it off the table as a result of politics. Well, I'd like to ask some basic questions about the long-term storage of nuclear waste. What do we need, mean by long-term storage? I mean, it's not really not, we're not talking about 12,000 years, are we? We're talking about something a bit longer than that. Right. So um, it's dangerous for hundreds of thousands of years. Uh, the peak dose, actually, Yucca Mountain was predicted to be several hundred thousand years in the future. Um, and so that's, I mean, that's mind-boggling, as you might think, since civilization is only five, ten thousand 10,000 years old. So it's well beyond any time that we can comprehend. Um, so hence why it's being, the sites that are being looked at are, are essentially burying it, you know, 1,000 feet or more uh, below, below the land surface to try to isolate it for that kind of time frame. Now, there's no, you can have no guarantee that there will be isolation, but it, I basically try to do the best you can through a combination of geologic to sort of natural barriers and as well as sort of engineered barriers to try to keep the waste contained. Yeah, it'd be useful probably to give people sort of a, a yardstick about, you know, what 20,000 years is 100,000 years. Uh, the last glaciation uh, retreated, what, some 20,000 years ago, is that right? Yes, that was the peak. Yeah, and the the difficulty with this kind of time frame is that the uh, scientific community is basically, you know, being asked to, you know, m make predictions uh, into geologic into the geologic time frame, and it's just it, it's more than science can do. Um, you know, but nonetheless, you know, we like we like our guarantees nowadays, and so it's like, well, is this stuff going to stay put for hundreds of thousands of years? And um, you know, nobody nobody can predict predict that, no matter how much you study it. Right. There's there's always going to be uncertainties. Right. And and regarding the hydrogeology, you say that the waste would be buried approximately a thousand meters above the water table. Tell us, uh, is that in, in the course of geologic time in an, in an active earthquake area, and we're talking about the Basin and Range province here, 
uh, I believe, uh, is it what what kind of guarantees that even over the course of a few thousand years that uh, this waste won't penetrate into the underlying water table? Well, it, actually, it's, it's about 300 meters above, above the water table. Um, there's very little water percolating through the mountain, and in fact, it may actually not even when they drill, drill have drilled into the mountain, it's been dry. Uh, but the question is, what happens when you put waste that's got all this heat associated with it? You have climate change and things and things like that. I think there's a pretty good sense that you've probably got a thousand years there. It's really a question about how much, how how well you do over the tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of years at that particular site. Um, if you go to Yucca Mountain, you'll notice the first thing that impresses you is just how remote the, the area is. So it's it's really the the, probably the biggest problem are the things like plutonium and things that are known as tra- as, uh, as transuranics, which have very long lives. The, the things that we most normally think about that are causing actually a lot of the radioactivity, like cesium and strontium, will have will die off in several several hundred years. So it's really the long, really long-term radionuclides that are of concern. You. Yeah. What are the most serious, given that Yucca Mountain is gone, and, and I wish we had a lot more time to talk about it, but I'd like to consider what alternatives are there. There has to be something, there has to be somewhere to put this waste. It's certainly not safe to be keeping it for any duration in close proximity to human beings. Yeah, well, um, you know, the only real solution is uh, burial in a deep underground geologic repository. In the early years of the uh, nuclear waste industry, uh, every possibility was brainstormed, shooting it in outer space, burying it in the bottom of the ocean or under the polar ice caps. And one by one, uh, for obvious reasons, these these uh, ideas were dismissed. And for the past several decades, there has been a worldwide consensus that a geologic repository is the only solution for dealing with this waste. Um, when Yucca Mountain was shut down in 2010, the United States is now back at the beginning of trying to develop a geologic repository. Uh, so this, of course, means that the 70,000 tons and growing of spent nuclear fuel at 75 sites in 33 states will be indefinitely stranded at the reactor site. Uh, now, a, a lot of people just kind of say, well, what about reprocessing? You know, and like, you know, there's sort of this, this thinking that that's the silver bullet uh, for dealing with the waste. But what, what most people, or many people at least, don't understand is that reprocessing creates more high-level waste, uh, you know, even even after the reprocessing uh, uh, process, uh, you still need to. Be, uh, there's still waste that needs to be buried in a repository. Well, you know, Bill, what is going to be required to punch through this technological and political problem? I, the problem with Nevada, probably, is that. Uh, well, let me ask the question: In Nevada, with Yucca Mountain, was there a concerted effort statewide to keep the waste out? Yeah, there was, although Nye County, the county that Yucca Mountain sits in, actually was in favor of, of hosting the repository. So, uh, But the state, because of the, because of the way the politics played out, has been battling this for, for decades. So uh, in terms of solutions, there's no easy solution, but we've created a way so we need to deal with it. And, 
And, you know, I would certainly start by completing the license review for Yucca Mountains. The American taxpayers deserve a right to know if it's a suitable site, at least uh, geologically. Uh, and if it continues to pass muster, then I would continue the negotiations with Nevada. Not much is likely to happen as long as Harry Reid is uh, there, but um, uh, I would continue that because any other site is going to take decades to, to find if you can find it at all. And, and meanwhile, I think it's been well demonstrating that having, having no plan B is, is foolish. Um, for one thing, there's nothing to compare Yucca Mountain to, so I would certainly pursue other sites now that Yucca Mountain has at least been taken off the table. Well, and then that's what, you know, that's a brief prescriptive plan about what should be done, given your familiarity with, in the inner circles of this process, what is going to happen? What's your prediction? Well, I think uh, Congress is trying to pass the revised Nuclear Waste Policy Act, and they're, they're seeking interim storage sites, which have failed time and time again to, to get the states to go along with that. Um, and they have this, they're taking the planning to take it away from the Department of Energy, but I, I don't think the problem is going to be solved by creating a new, a new agency. That's, that, that may help, but it's certainly not going to solve the problem. So they're just batting, batting it around at the moment. Right. Yeah, the, 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 new, the new policy is to look for a, a volunteer community to host an interim storage site and, and also a repository uh, site. But, you know, there's this, this triad here of, of trying to find a volunteer community and then a consenting state and, on top of that, a suitable site. And so these difficulties of putting these three together uh, cannot be lightly dismissed. Uh, the uh, the search for an interim site has uh, has uh, you know not only is uh, has encountered not in my backyard but not in my state problems too. There have been uh, a couple of places uh, that wanted to take uh, interim waste and it's been shut down for Utah, for example, in Utah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, in the early 1980s, uh, the community of Oak Ridge, Tennessee, volunteered to host an interim storage site, and statewide opposition and Governor Lamar Alexander shut that down. And then in the 1990s, the Goshu tribe in Utah volunteered to host an interim storage site. And, and in this case, uh, statewide opposition included designating a new wilderness area along the tribe's boundary to block the planned rail line. Finally, it was last winter that after 50 15 years of legal battles, uh, the, uh, the utilities and the Goshutes finally gave up. So this, this idea of looking for a volunteer community, you know, it has been tried, and it's just it's a very difficult thing to pull off. Well, this sounds like an intractable problem. The, the geological problem, the scientific problem is, is incredibly, incredibly daunting. And then we can't even... Uh, predict what uh, human beings are going to do in the next 10 years with respect yeah, yeah. to storing this stuff. Uh, well, you know, one one thing to keep in mind here is that now Sweden and Finland are, um, you know, they're planning on opening the world's first deep underground geologic repositories in the next, oh, I don't know, 15 years, 10 years or so. Finland is actually in the early stages, or maybe, it's hard to know, but they're in construction of a repository. And, uh, and they're doing so in full knowledge that there are no guarantees here. There are always going to be uncertainties. But meanwhile, you know, the only responsible thing is to find the best site you can, study it, accept the fact that there's no perfect site on the face of the earth, and get this stuff underground. It, just leaving it lying around um, above ground indefinitely is just asking for trouble. 
Well, I'd like to thank our guests, um, William and Rose Marie Alley, uh, authors of the new book published by Cambridge, Too Hot to Touch, The Problem of High-Level Nuclear Waste. And we'll be exploring this issue in more detail later on. Thank you, folks. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jim. That's all for this edition of How on Earth. This show, uh, this week's show was produced by me, Jim Pullen. And Susan Moran is our executive producer this quarter. The theme was written and produced by Josh Cutler. If you can't listen to How on Earth at our regular time, no worries. You can go to howonearthradio.org and subscribe to our podcast using the iTunes button. Questions or comments? Call the KGNU comment line at 303-447-9911. For How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show, I'm Jim Pullen.